I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's what you owe, and we're not turning ourselves in until we get it. Fair is fair. We didn't start this. We didn't beat it to happen, but we're not giving up until you pay. Fair is fair. Welcome to The Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. Be a part of the conversation as industry insiders, genre lovers, and cinephiles dare to peek beyond the curtains of imagination and dive into the art of cinema. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. Now here's your host, Armand Haddad. All right, Zach, Corey, thank you so much for coming on to the show. I've been listening to your show and I absolutely love the rapport that you two have and the film selection that you all choose for podcasting after dark so since this is your first time on the show can you tell our listeners more about podcasting after dark and zach i hear you have another podcast under your belt <laughs> i do but i'll let Corey go first yeah so podcasting after dark uh we we like to cover well it started out as the movies we weren't allowed to watch as a kid, uh, we qu- quickly discovered that we sort of ate through you know that selection pretty quickly. So we just kind of pivoted to mostly being a cult movie podcast. Um, people think that we're a horror podcast, but we're not. We've we've covered like Hard Target, uh, Cyborg, um, The Burbs, Bachelor Party, stuff like that too. So. We are a cult movie podcast, but we do tend to go towards more of the late night cinema vibes. Uh, Zach even uh, patterned our intro after a sort of a famous, was it a Detroit Channel uh, uh, late night monster show? Yeah, Thriller TV, TV 20, double features, Saturday double features, (laughs) lock your doors, close your windows, or whatever it is. I've heard it a million times because I edit the episodes. Yeah, why am I pretending like I don't know what it is? But uh, Zach and I will do something fun where where – Basically, the hook of our show is we break the movie down in its entirety, and uh, it didn't start this way. It kind of evolved into this, and now it's become sort of a beast uh, where it takes us multiple days to break down a movie. But uh, we have heard positive feedback. People love to to hear it because it's like they're just watching the movie while they're at work or something. So like, okay, cool. Um, But one week, I'll pick the movie, um, and then next week, Zach will pick the movie. So we kind of go leapfrog back and forth, and whoever picks the movie also has uh, breaking down the movie duties as well. So every other episode, it's kind of like a different vibe and everything, and Zach may throw something fun and different at me, and I may throw something 
probably a bit more mainstream because that's sort of how we are. But, uh, you know, podcasting after dark, we like to joke uh, is, is you know, the dark side of, of these cult movies and everything. But Zach's other podcast, Two Dollar Late Fee, is very much the the bright, sunny side of, of these cult movies from the 80s and whatnot. Pretty much. I mean, $2 late fee is uh, came out of podcasting after dark, me having so much fun with Corey and then wanting to kind of expand my video universe as far as discussing movies from the 80s and sometimes 90s. And $2 late fee with my co-host Dustin Rubin on that show, we uh, take a movie from the 80s and sometimes 90s. I have to put that in there just in case someone goes, well, you sometimes do 90s movies. Um we talk about the movie and then the connection with we focus on the soundtrack to the movie as well. And then we share pop culture moments from the year the movie came out. And that turned into uh, us interviewing someone connected to the movie. So, for example, we just talked about Pretty Woman, which was filmed in 1989, but it came out in 1990. Uh, and then we interviewed Laura San Giacomo, one of the stars of the film, who's a tremendous actress in her own right. Uh, and so that movie, that podcast has been going on for four years around the same time as podcasting after dark. And then Corey and I do a crossover once a year with uh, <laughs> podcasting after dark and two dollar late fee. Much to Dustin's <laughs> butt's chagrin because he, he hates sitting there for four hours. But <laughs> yeah, my, Dustin, my co-host, is convinced that most people don't want to listen to anything 90 minutes or more, uh, which is not true. Which is a joke, you know. And uh, and so podcasting after dark at times goes four hours when Dustin's on. I think we purposely go four hours. Corey, I know. Just, just to <laughs> drive Dustin. Nuts. I know we do it just on purpose, <laughs> but we've covered movies that that kind of easily cross over so for example uh we started out with a movie called the wraith from 1986 uh, starring charlie sheen with an amazing soundtrack highlighted by stan bush from transformers fame obviously and then we the next film was harley davidson and the marlboro (laughs) man from the 90s uh and we interviewed someone from that as well chelsea field who played tila in the he-man masters of the universe movie and then we have another one coming up this year which uh, for all you sports fans, will be a highlight potentially. <laughs> I was gonna say, do we, do we lock that one in already? Okay, <laughs> I think we're we're locking in a guest, so because okay. we obviously want to coincide with an interview with we have as well. But uh, I jumped ahead of myself. I just want to say, Armand, thank you for having us on the show, and we're excited to talk about a movie that I did discuss on Two Dollar Late Fee. Uh, I love The Legend of Billie Jean, and can't wait to talk about it with you guys. Yeah, oh my and, goodness. Yeah, and I can segue into my experience with with Billy Jean as well. Um, I've only seen it a couple times, but I watched it because of the two dollar late fee episode that Zach and Dustin did. So my wife and I uh, checked it out, and we we both immediately fell in love with it. Um, it's, it almost seems like once a year, her and I will sort of discover one new movie from the '80s that we just fall in love with. And this was that year. It was Legend of Billie Jean. Uh, last year, it was Soul Survivor. Um, also, a recommendation by Zach. So yeah, I in the past four years that I've been doing podcasting after dark with Zach, I feel like I have grown immensely in in my knowledge of of films and behind the scenes stuff as well. Wow. Yeah. I mean. Once again, thank you so much for coming on. Like, if I could describe podcasting after dark, it's like after the watershed moments of TV, late nights, and then $2 late fee is something that you would watch, you know, during the day, Saturday afternoon, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think that's accurate. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think the $2 late fee focuses heavily on the music and the soundtracks, whereas podcasting after dark does a deep dive breakdown of the overall movie and uh very few get... stones unturned on our deep dive breakdowns <laughs> very nice 
Yeah, I mean, so with The Legend of Billie Jean, uh, you guys approached me with several movie recommendations. I think it was four. And the one that stood out for me was The Legend of Billie Jean. It was on my radar because earlier, gosh, I think it was actually a couple of years ago, I saw Heathers for the first time with Christian Slater. Oh, wow. And I really enjoyed that movie. And I was like, geez, like, what else has Christian Slater been in? And that movie poster really stood out in his filmography. And I was like, whoa, what's this? Is this like a Michael Jackson thing? Or is this something <laughs> off a thriller? No. And then I, I read the synopsis and I was like, okay, this sounds like a very interesting movie. And then I never got around to it. And you guys recommended it for this podcast. And I was like, okay, I finally have my reason to watch The Legend of Billie Jean for the first time. So you guys experienced this back in the 80s, correct? Not me. I, I am okay. new to it, um, but I was always aware of it, um, always, uh, you know, seeing it in, in video stores and stuff. But I know I didn't watch it until probably about three years ago. Zach, whenever you did that episode, that that was pretty much the, the first time I watched it and loved right. it. And side note, when you were saying how excited you were, because you're like, oh, now I got a reason to watch Legend of Billie Jean. That's literally why I incepted, you know, podcasting after dark, just to give me time to watch these <laughs> movies that I've never seen before. You know, like a reason, because otherwise... I'll just smoke and play video games pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. Ain't nothing Nothing wrong wrong with that. that. It's a movie that you can interact with. That's right. That's right. (laughs) So uh, with your catalog of films, especially with Podcasting After Dark, the reason why I reached out to you guys is because I don't know if you heard of this YouTube channel. I'm a big fan of Red Letter Media, Mm. specifically Mm. Best of the Worst, where they go through not the best movies from the 80s and 90s, like the the cult classics, even the so bad it's good movies. And Billie Jean is definitely one of those cult classic movies because like it doesn't get a whole lot of buzz. It's a little bit of a hidden gem. And yet there's this massive following to it. Like case in point with Zach, he's wearing a T-shirt with Billie Jean on it. That says fair yep. is fair, which we're going to get into in a little bit. But like it just blows my mind that I, haven't really heard of this movie, but since you guys being Gen Xers, you know, I'm a nineties kid. So like this is this is before my time. So like nineties. <laughs> you know, I look back at these movies like, oh my God, the eighties, it's so cool. Like better movies and the aliens and like all these awesome sci-fi movies and practical well, effects and awesome horror movies. And like you guys are like, that's my childhood. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I just missed yeah, it by I, just a little bit. I I saw Legend of Billy Jean when I was a kid in 85 i was nine years old at the time and um i think i saw it on hbo and or or my brother rented it oh, wow. and it, it, it was one of those movies that i instantly fell in love with not really understanding the subject matter at the time when i was nine years old and now watching <laughs> it with a 40 some odd lens uh it's it's changed a lot for me in a good way i think okay and yeah, dare I say that the 80s are our favorite decade of films. Um, however, the 70s have so tremendous moments as well. And the 90s have some moments, too. You know, um, yeah, just retreads of a lot of movies as well in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, it's not, it's not my fault. <laughs> no, it's all ideas. good. It's all good. And then it's happening again now. Oh, again, like a, a point break remake mm-hmm. and like Hawaii Five-0 but- and. These- By the way, Point Break was on at the gym the other day. The opening minutes of Point Break, uh, and, and I don't care if this is a spoiler or not, but they set up the scene where the main character, who Johnny Utah is his nickname, apparently. Oh. Like they right? But uh he he does like a, a BMX 
jump from one pillar in the Grand Canyon to another, right? This mountaintop on his BMX bike. And the other guy does it, his partner, but he drives off the side of it and he falls to his death. That's the opening to Point Break. And I'm watching and going, this looks pretty cool. (laughs) And then Delroy Lindo shows shows up and I'm like, I love Delroy Lindo. Maybe I'll give this a shot. No, no. (laughs) I mean, we we say on the show that we, we can never blanketly say that we, you know, right away disregard remakes because both of our one of our favorite movies of all time john carpenter's the thing is a remake uh we also have both been on the show saying that we prefer the Zack snyder dawn of the dead remake over the original so i mean and there's many more that i think the remakes are actually pretty darn good and hills have eyes i actually like the the remake better than the original um so yeah i you know what i still try to give remakes their fair shake you know um but I think we can all agree that a lot of times they don't hit the mark, though. Exactly. <laughs> kind of like John Utah's up. friend. <laughs> I'm glad that yeah, you brought nice. up um, the thing, because, like, you know, if you watch the original from the 1950s, it's, like, very cheesy. Like, oh, my God, it's a creature from another world. What do we watch, do now? Watch the skies. Watch the skies. <laughs> and then you watch uh, the remake of John Carpenter. It's like, oh, my God, body horror, Lovecraftian. It's mm-hmm. amazing. And, yeah. yeah, so, I mean... We're kind of beating around the bush, but let's really get into uh, The Legend of Billie Jean. So before we go any further, I really want to dive into this movie because there's so much to talk about. Who would like to volunteer as tribute to summarize The Legend of Billie Jean? <laughs> I, I nominate the guy who's seen it more than twice. <laughs> uh, I love how Corey's like, that guy, that guy, uh, with the Z in his name. Um, okay, so so on $2 Late Fee, podcasting used Podcasting After Dark used to do the synopsis yeah. to the yeah, movies. Th- we just jump right in. Yeah, because right because the whole our whole show is the synopsis. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. But on uh, on two dollar late fee, sometimes we read the IMDb description, which is almost as good as it'll get, yeah. meaning it, it's terrible. Um, so this is what IMDb says, and then I'll give my own summary. A Texas teenager cuts her hair short and becomes an outlaw martyr with her brother and friends. I love how the cutting her hair short is what makes her become a martyr. Because in 1985, if you weren't Pat Benatar and your hair was short, you were a martyr. Yep. <laughs> you were Joan of Arc. Apparently. Um, I mean, yeah, like I know we're going to get into the spoils of it, but essentially it's it's like a redneck family that uh, get into a kerfuffle with uh with the the local kind of bully big shots and um there's an attempted rape involved and a money exchange that goes bad uh someone shot they thought he's killed but he's not and uh said redneck family goes on the run uh from the law and in the process becomes a hero thanks to a kick-ass soundtrack and I, I just want to add, in the process, becomes a superhero, because I think this movie is very much a comic book film. Yes. And when you say superhero, make sure you say superhero. <laughs> superhero. <laughs> <laughs> so with with this film, like, oh, my, that was probably one of the worst log lines on IMDb <laughs> I've ever heard. She cuts her totally. hair. That makes her a martyr. Watch Billy Jean. It's like, what? That doesn't tell me anything about the film. I thought you were going to read the, I guess it's on Google, where it says, a relentless teenager, Billy Jean, uh, and her brother, Binks, dream of living the oppressive Corpus Christi, Texas, for Vermont, when Binks' scooter is trashed by Bully Hubby, uh, and they go on a rampage. So, like, wow, I 
read that and I was like, okay, this is kind of like, sounds like Footloose meets The Fugitive. And then I watch it and I was like, all of these synopsises are wrong. I know they're trying to sell the movie on me, but it's like, I watched the movie. I'm like, that's not what happens. And and both (laughs) synopsises sort of fail to mention the, like the social media war that sort of starts around it, which I think is honestly, even in 2023, even more um, important and of an aspect uh, to all of this is like, public perception and how you can, you know, manipulate public perception and everything like that. And, and I think, you know, maybe, maybe when these synopsises were written back in the day, that wasn't as big of a deal. Maybe they were thinking it was more of a side product of the main story, which is, you know, the main story is them trying to get that $600, 600, $608 back. Um, You know, that's sort of the main thing. And then, you know, standing by their morals and their convictions and I'm sure that the the synopsis people, well, well the, the the you know the news war and everything that happens is kind of like whatever. That's sort of something that happens. But nowadays, it's su- such in our in our world, and it's so much easier to access these social media battles and everything. That I thought it was uh, very important in 2023 to sort of look at this movie through that lens and and see how you can manipulate people wrongly or positively, or you could even say manipulation is just wrong period like even billy jean manipulating is wrong as well but yeah that's I'm sure a conversation for much smarter people than me <laughs> that's a great way to put it because like as i was watching this i didn't know what i was expecting going into this film but what it ended up being is kind of like what you said Corey, where it's like we're manipulating this character billy jean and like how the society kind of like made their own version of the events that happened and like made their yeah. own hero anti-hero figure from this girl that's running away from uh, an attempted sexual assault uh, trying to get her brother's moped back which was trashed and so it's like the movie as it goes on like the situation just escalates and escalates until it gets to the final chapter where it's like you know the big climatic uh, ending but like it just blows my mind how because I was watching it I'm like this is very much a product of the time because it's yeah, the, the 1980s, like, oh my god, like, what's happening? The, like, the, the radio jockey and like the news reporters, like, what's happening? How are we gonna find this girl? And like, if this if this was made now, she would go, you know, viral instead of you know all these news reports. Like, she'll be all over the internet. So it's like the same story, but like still relevant today. If you like change the context just a little bit. Well, I mean, you mentioned that you weren't sure like how this movie is going to play out. That was kind of my first experience with it. It didn't play out sort of the way I expected it to, you know, and uh, which was fun. It, it's 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 a fun sort of twisty road of a story. You know, it's not quite straight point A to point B type of thing. Right. So, Zach, since you watched this the most out of all three of us, you grew up with this film. Um, what like resonated with you? Cause like you said, you watched it with nine. I was going to joke around like, did it awaken something uh, inside you? <laughs> it awoken Seen something Helen inside Slater. me at 45. <laughs> I'm sure it did, Corey. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I love, I love chase movies. My favorite movie of all time is the warriors, which I think is the ultimate chase movie. Cause you never, they never stop running. Well, they do stop running, but you, you get the point. Yeah. Um, I love, I love, um, unjust justice you know uh retribution type films revenge type films um like vigilante for example is a great uh kind of sleazy exploitation 
revenge type movie. This is like a kid's version. Well, not kid's version. This is a teenage version of a revenge film in a way uh, where you want to see the the heroes get their get their revenge on the people that did them wrong. Uh, I think that always appealed to me as a kid wanting to see people get their due justice. And on top of that, the soundtrack for me was one of my favorite soundtracks uh, at, at, the, at the time. In fact, it's a soundtrack that never was released. Um, the, obviously Pat Benatar's invincible song towered over all the other songs in the film, but the score is by Craig Saffin, who is, is known for Remo Williams, for example, that's one of his biggest uh, more notable soundtracks that he's done. He actually, Craig Saffin's done a ton of soundtracks and I was a big soundtrack nerd back in the day. Still am. Uh, his brother, uh, I forget his first name, but also Saffin does a song called closing in on the soundtrack, which is a really cool song. Um, he did the soundtrack. He did a song on uh teen wolf, the, the win in the end, win in the end, oh, wow. uh, Mark Saffin. Uh, that song's unavailable. You can't find it anywhere. In fact, Mark Saffin, the guy, doesn't have the recording as well, which is a bummer. But wow. I, I think those two things, the soundtrack and the the story of like, you know, that that on the run and revenge really appealed to me as a kid. It still does. It still does. And um, I, I love the the quirky characters along the way. You know, I love that that um, when when Keith Gordon's character Lloyd is introduced, he's kind of like he's a really neat character and I want to know his backstory. I want to know more about him. And and obviously there's a mall scene in the film and any mall scene in a movie always wins me over <laughs> more so now than it did back then. Yes, yes especially so they use gi joe walkie talkies i, I have a note right from kb toys i have a note right there for that buddy i i knew you were going to pick up on that as well <laughs> come on what's not the love <laughs> like when i was watching this film i was like this movie is peak 80s like yes, it has all totally. of the 80s sheen just smudged all over it and i absolutely loved it and with this film like it definitely is a chase movie like i feel it's an interesting movie because it's straddling a couple lines uh, because like it's kind of like the warriors, except the warriors is more gritty. And mm-hmm. it's, I, I would say post-apocalyptic in this fictional world where all these yeah. gangs, eccentric gangs, gangs of mimes even yeah. are all fighting each other. <laughs> gangs so, of orphans. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So like with this film, especially with like, all these log lines like, oh, like she's trying to leave this oppressive town and she cuts her hair. And like, even with like the poster with her in like the wetsuits and like short hair looks like Annie Lennox uh, from the 80s. Yeah, totally. And I was like expecting some sort of like action-y movie. And it kind of, I was a little confused opening with this family of rednecks. And I'm like, did I download the wrong movie? <laughs> you downloaded the last Starfighter. Exactly. <laughs> oh God, that movie's awful. <laughs> Craig Saffin did the soundtrack for that too. <clears throat> I mean, he Just did saying. a great John Williams impression with that movie. <laughs> yes, he did. Um, but with uh, the legend of Billy Jean, it like, it was kind of like the kid friendly version of like uh, the warriors, I guess, or like this. Yeah. Like it felt like, it Why should not? have been like a Mad Max movie, but it wasn't. Like it's still like still set in our world of the 1985 instead of like this post-apocalyptic world. Because I was watching, I'm like, I feel like this character would have resonated more if this was like 
society is gone and let's rebuild the society and like oh this is our hero that we're looking up to the legend of billy oh my god it's billy jean everyone she's here instead it's like this texas folktale of like there's a girl on the run where it's like uh what do you call it bonnie and clyde Except yeah yeah kind of not i like that i like that texas folktale and kind of you know circling back to your what you said about if it's like more of like a kids movie, you know, maybe a post-apocalyptic kids movie, but it's kind of weird in that regard tonally because I know that it was originally going to get a rated R or, or an R rating. Um, and I don't know if they trimmed it or just resubmitted it and brought it down to PG 13. But for me, you know, I'm looking at it now and I'm just like, Helen Slater is so scantily clad in the first third of this movie that I feel like it like precludes it from being a, a kid's movie, but then it becomes, she becomes more kid friendly in the second half. You know, they kind of like yeah. give her more clothes and stuff and don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining about that first third, but like tonally, I didn't feel, I didn't <laughs> feel sometimes that the, that the, that her scantily cladness matched with the tone that they were trying to go with the the movie but i know they needed it because that's sort of what the bad guys in the movie hone in on and what they use to sort of sell her as and make money and you know off of her and her image and so she needed to have this this sexiness to her but it's just it's such a weird movie because i don't consider it a kids movie but yet it is still in a lot of senses, very kid friendly, especially with the, the Yardley Smith character who I think is, you know, very much designed to be that anchor point for the kids. But then if I was like eight or nine years old, or how about this? If I had a, if I was a parent, I don't know if I'd want an eight or nine year old kid to watch Helen Slater walk around half naked in the first third of the movie. Like Zach, Zach, you are a parent. Am I missing something? Like, am I wrong in that, in that what I'm noting? No, I have to specify. I think it's a teenage movie. Okay. It's perfect teenage. I would I would say 12. I, I definitely was too young probably at the time to see this movie, <laughs> thinking back. But then again, like podcasting after dark, the a lot of these movies were movies I watched before I was the age of 10 or 11 years old. Right. Um, and we turned out fine. Yeah, look at we turned we're out all fine. Out of uh, so, <laughs> yeah, we have podcasts. <laughs> right. No, but but I I I I agree. I feel like it's I think the intention was to appeal to a younger audience, not a not an adult audience. Uh and when I say maybe, you know, Armand, maybe when you say teen kids, you're thinking the same thing I am, like teen like teens or ten and up, perhaps, you know. You know, um, I don't really know because like the antics that the characters get into is like Goonies level cheesiness except yeah, yeah uh i don't know how old helen slater's character is supposed to be but she's 21 in time of filming and like the other characters especially <laughs> christian slater's like 15 so like the characters i assume the other characters are like the younger teenagers i think yeah. i think yardley like was adult i think yardley smith was around 21 as well but yeah christian slater oh, okay. was like 16 when he filmed it and he he looks like it yes i'm gonna say billy jean is supposed to be 18 in that yeah movie. it makes me sleep better at night. yeah yeah <laughs> Like, especially Corey, <laughs> i'm glad that you brought up her clothing and like especially in the first 10 minutes of the film because like it's not she's there's no nudity start to finish no. there's no nudity but it's almost worse than nudity yeah but it's lewd as hell <laughs> it's very lewd she, she doesn't have a bra on ever uh, crop top they go swimming and i'm like christian uh, their brother and sister in real life 
Their characters are even brother and sister. I'm well, like, no, well, they're not brother like, and sister what, in, what in real life. What movie did I embark upon right now? It, it should be noted they're not brother and sister in in real life, but um, they're not. No, Christian Slater and Helen. So that's a very common misconception. Um, they're not. But oh my god! But and and, and I wanted to talk about this. Christian Slater had a huge crush on her and he thought they were destined to be together because they had the same last name. And the first time I watched this movie, I forgot that they're that they're supposed to be brother and sister because the vibe that he's giving off when he looks at her is so apparently crushing. You know what I mean? Like it's he can't even hide it um, that that it kind of throws me off. And now I want to, you know, say that all these things that I'm talking about that are kind of like weird or whatever. I love this movie. I, I adore this Sound movie. And, and if yeah. anything, the weirdness makes me love it more. Um, but that was one of the things that I thought was odd was that Christian Slater couldn't hide his crush on his sister in the movie, you know, basically. Oh, my God. Like, I even looked up the director because, like, the way just everything about it, especially in the beginning. I was like, all right, is this one of those like B movie directors? Like he's behind the camera smoking. All right, honey, you can't wear a bra in this scene. Now jump in the water. We need more water for that shirt. We need more water for that shirt. <laughs> and I looked him up, and he didn't do really B movies. He was just kind of like a, a generic director, just a working guy. And I'm like, this movie is a. I don't know where to classify this movie because it's like there's a little bit of sleaze in it, but not too much. And it's like. There's a little bit of like the campiness, but not too much. Cause like they get into like some serious subject matter in this movie on top of like antics of like, I'm hungry guys. And then they break into a house and then Yardley's character steals a chocolate cake. And it's like, the tone is all over the place. It's well, a roller coaster. But, but Armand, I, I want to jump in really quick. And it, it is interesting. You bring up the director, uh, Matthew Robbins. Uh, he, he did do, like odd films you know you look at like someone like john carpenter we have a patreon series called the carpenter factor where we we literally uh discuss every single one of john carpenter's movies from the beginning to the end and you see patterns and sometimes you don't depending on which job he got hired to do or the jobs he chose to do but matthew robbins has like it's it is very eclectic because corvette summer which i think shares elements to legend of billy jean that's interesting I was also thinking of um, Sugarland Express. That was Spielberg's first film he did. That kind of has a, like you mentioned, Bonnie and Clyde, that kind of vibe to it. But but then you go into like Dragon Slayer, which yeah, I know people are like, oh my God, that movie's so good. Is it really? What <laughs> is it? Is it? Yeah. Is it? And then Battery's Not Included. People go, oh, I love that movie. I saw that in the theater. Do you really? Do you really? But do you really love that movie? I haven't seen like, it since the theater. <laughs> it's very depressing. I feel that film, personally, I think that movie is very depressing. But, you know, and then bingo. And you're like, oh, there you go. There you go. Um, so, but, but yeah, like his, is he a higher gun? I don't know. Did he choose this film? I don't know. But, but, you know, you get the sense like, tonally maybe the production uh you know the studio stepped in and like we need more of this uh you know i think of like the guys from from canon they're like look look we're going to make movie you know it's going to be great it's going to but we need lots of uh the female anatomy you know what i'm saying no i don't no like make sure they're topless through like three quarters of the movie so this was like maybe we're going for that vibe in the beginning which appeals to an older audience but then yeah you totally go like 
age-wise, you're all over the place. Well, I mean, also, too, behind the scenes, there were multiple reshoots. So apparently you can see, you know, when, uh, oh, yes. when Helen Slater has a wig on because, you know, they, they had to go back and reshoot. So you wonder if things were tinkered with for, at the beginning part of it. Like, I feel like once she cuts her hair and moves forward, I feel like the vision is very concrete at that point. Um, I feel like maybe they went back and tinkered with that first third and maybe gave it something that they felt it needed. I don't know. Maybe they added more of the sleeves. Maybe they took some of it away. You know, uh, I, I don't know. But I do know they had to do some multiple reshoots with it. And it should be noted too. the writer. Well, there's there's two writers credited, credited but I'll, I'll, Mark Rosenthal is probably the main writer on this. He wrote Jewel the uh, he wrote Jewel of the Nile, <clears throat> which is definitely not as good <laughs> uh, as good as Romancing the Stone. Superman Four, <laughs> which is definitely not as good as Superman Three, and that's saying something. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, Star Trek Six. He wrote the story for that. He's got some moments. Mighty Joe Young. Um, you know, it again. I wouldn't say the strongest screenwriter, but. Uh, it has its moments. Yeah, and I'd probably pick Legend of Billie Jean over most of those other movies that you just mentioned, you know? Oh, I would, yeah. You mean you would choose Bill Legend of Billie Jean over Superman 4? How dare you? <laughs> well, hold on, wait. I'll only think of it now, just kidding. <laughs> See, what's interesting is that was like, so The Legend of Billie Jean was like one of, the, one of was his first feature film that he wrote Yeah, uh, for both writers, and it's like, they start off strong. Like, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there mm-hmm. to explore, but it's like, okay, totally. you can tell it's like, this is their first movie. You know, they, they'll they get it, you know, later on in their career. And then you see the rest of their filmography. It's like, oh, well, I mean, we all can't be Spielberg. <laughs> no, and, and, and I think, um, you know, it's hard when you're, when you, when you're making the main characters, um, like yeah rednecks i guess there's that's the the un pc way to describe it and you're you're not appealing it's kind of alienating certain people i guess but i think it's kind of cool that they did that because these are people that a lot of people fortunately or unfor- no more unfortunately would consider you know less than right oh right. like oh that's just that redneck who lives down the street with his uh the tires off his car or whatever with the cinder blocks and look i grew up in detroit as a kid and uh, we we didn't have not we did not have a lot of money, and we could be considered in that category. I'm sure to some respect, but um, I think it's important that they're like they took these these people who were outcasts and they turned them into like heroes, uh, right. specifically Billie Jean, yeah, and like moral right. moral heroes, you know, moral heroes, yeah. And which that's what I, and I, I like where you're where you're going with that because yeah, even she says when you know um uh. Pyatt, the the main bad guy, Richard Bradford, you know, he's like, oh, you're from the trailer parks or whatever. And she's like, what does that that have to do with anything? You know, and it's she, you know, it's basically setting the tone that, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from, where you're from, you can always do the right thing. And I do love that she does, you know, tries to do the right thing no matter what, you know, all the way down to the end, like throwing the money back at him and all this kind of stuff. And, and you yeah. know, they really want to – they're trying to hammer home the whole fair is fair. Uh, the movie's original title was going to be Fair is Fair. The Legend of Billy and Jean is infinitely better than that title. Um, but I liked that through line. Especially there were a couple points where, you know, she she was tempted uh, to steal a car or to steal something. And she's like, no, like, 
Because once you do that, you're defeating the whole purpose of all of this. And I do feel that the writers and the filmmakers, they did know the thesis of the movie. Like, you know, tonally and stuff, they might have been hit or miss here and there. But I know that I, I do feel like they knew the thesis going in strongly, which is just fair is fair. No matter what, you just do the right thing. You know what I mean? Right. And and no matter what the cost and what that costs you, it just do the right thing. And I think that comes through no matter what, no matter what you think of the tone of the movie or whatever, I think the, the thesis comes through perfect. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It really does. Like, there is this solid message underneath everything, which is like, you know, heroism and, uh, you know, because like the driving force of this, which is kind of silly, but it's it still happened. Like her little brother's moped got stolen. Grand Theft Auto. She goes to the police. They for some reason didn't do anything. She finds the moped. It's completely destroyed. All right, so you got Grand Theft Auto and vandalism. So this person's gonna right. get in big trouble. And uh, nothing happens. So then she takes matters into her own hands. Like, hey, this costs six hundred and eight dollars. Like your son did this, you know, confronts the, the bully's dad and she was going to get the money while well, he's part of it. And she was thrown into a situation, which I was like, oh, we're going here. Yeah, that, that's and how I he, felt the first time I watched. I was like, OK, this is where this is going. It's like, all right. So this uh, Goonies level movie that I thought it was going to be turns into a very an adult movie right very quickly because it's like, OK, like he's like, oh, you can have the rest of the money. You just have to sleep with me, essentially. And then she, of course, says no. And then he's like, well, this is going to happen whether you like it or not. And then she had to really wrestle her way out of there. And then that's that's the beginning of the movie. That's the beginning of the story. Yeah. That's, that's, that's her origin story if we're going to make this into a superhero film. Like, that's, that's where she came from. She had to overcome that. And then on the run, you know, this big legend uh forms around her of like oh she's like standing up to people she's she's doing things that i wish i could be doing type of thing and that's why everyone gravitates towards her story it's like wow she's actually standing up to people she's you know righting the wrongs of texas and it's like wow so she has like a following and yeah i mean it's it's very admirable and it's very it's a great thing for especially the younger audience watching this movie it's like wow I mean, I can tell like whoever was writing this wanted this to be a bigger thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like, it's like, wow, I want to be like Billie Jean. Like, it's kind of like a good version of Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Because and, like, she didn't really yeah. do anything wrong. She was tempted, but she didn't really do anything wrong in this story. And 
I mean, even so much so that they put her in one of those, you know, body glove, uh, you know, wetsuits, you know, cut off the sleeves and everything. She looks like a superhero, you know, like that's that's on purpose. You know, the, the filmmakers did that on purpose. And then when she's walking down the street with all those kids behind her, you know, she she feels like. You know, Supergirl, even though Zach, uh, Supergirl was being filmed pretty much at the same time as this. Uh, so I, yeah, I think so. so. Her, her playing Supergirl didn't influence the legend of Billie Jean because it kind of came out post, correct? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think it did. Uh, and then unfortunately, you know, they had to do reshoots at the end. So you see her wearing a terrible wig at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. But they You're worked like, it oh, into boy. the film. Like, oh, she's yeah, undercover. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, and then going back to your sort of you describing, um, Armand, the, uh, the sort of the setup in the opening, that sounds like so basically what you're describing is, OK, so a rich, you know, kid, rich white kid uh, could do whatever the hell he wants and gets away with it, you know, with no repercussions from the police or, or you know, any kind of judicial repercussions, societal repercussions. And as you were talking about that, I was like, that sounds like any freaking political Reddit, you know, post that I've read in the past week. You know what I mean? Let alone the yeah. past year, let alone the past five years. Nothing yeah. has changed in that regard, which is is I don't know if that's refreshing to know that the same problems existed, you know, 30 years ago same as they shit, do now. Toilet. <laughs> you know, exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's it's again, I think that kind of goes back to the fact that, you know, watching this in 2023, it holds up very, very well with what they're trying to to explain and impart on people. Fair is fair. 2023 still holds up. Fair is fair. And you know what else holds up is the style. Oh, um, and and I and I brought this up on the two dollar lay fee episode, but I want to bring it up again. The marketing that they do for the Billie Jean character at the end, all the merchandise, all the T-shirts and everything. Where did that all end up? Because they they do a whole, you know, they're selling posters with her looking amazing. Very cool. And they've got these really cool looking T-shirts. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm, I haven't saved on my search on eBay for Billie Jean merchandise because I, if anything ever pops up, I want it. I mean, your shirt looks great, buddy. I love, real quick, where'd you get the 8-Bit Zombie? Eight bit zombie, if you guys are interested, <laughs> that puts out retro eighties uh cartoons, movies, stuff like that. Go check out eight bit zombie because cheap plug for them. And I'm not getting anything in return because I've it's just a baller shirt, a lot man. of money. I will say <laughs> yep. that shirt's pretty cool. It's it very is. cool. But yeah, going to should have like- been the shirt. They I mean they they missed the they missed a huge opportunity in this movie to make uh t-shirts and, and buttons and posters or whatever for the and film. i'm surprised we don't see like any cosplayers dressing up as as billy <laughs> jean i mean like i mean i, I know that yeah. sounds silly but i don't think that's very like hard to think of because like i mean i got the mill creek you know vhs slipcover blu-ray here and like she looks just her image is so striking on the cover just the way she is and everything i'm that's a really I'm, good poster i'm just surprised that more people specifically you know young women haven't like sort of gravitated towards this character or this movie i, mean, I don't know if that's a sexist statement but i mean i think she's pretty fucking badass i think I it i think the problem is nobody knows about this movie this is truly a diamond in the rough because like i'm looking at the box office numbers of the time it made three million dollars which in any time that's not a lot of money i mean that's no that's like people people watched it not a lot of people watched it so i think it's just people don't know about it and like given the time too like when this movie came out they probably didn't have the marketing budget to make pins to promote the movie and so True. they didn't have a marketing budget to promote it nobody saw it and now you know all these years later 
now we're talking about it on a podcast. And I think to your point of no one really having seen it is no one really is talking about a remake of it either, you know, which is weird, I think. You know, give it some time. It's probably going to happen. It's going to be a Netflix original, (laughs) The Legend of Billie Jean. It'll be a series. Billie Jean Returns. Yeah, Billie Jean the series or just call it Billie Jean. It's just a reboot (laughs) because like this could still work today. It's just the only thing is, like I said earlier, she would go viral instead of like, you know, oh, I have to watch the late night TV. Billy Jean is at it again. <laughs> the radio jockeys and stuff. Well, Ar- Armand, uh, can we can we ask you as, as a first time viewer, um, what were your thoughts on like the soundtrack and everything like the music of the film? Yeah. You know what? I might be biased because I'm a huge 1980s fan when it comes to music, I, specifically like the early 80s. Uh, once you get to like the later eighties with like where it's more like rock and roll instead of like synth stuff, I kinda drop off. But like this movie had it all. Like I was I was listening, I'm like, is that Billy Idol? Yeah. And like yeah. <laughs> because like I was I was surprised. Um uh, because like you had all these like pretty big names for the time uh having their music licensed in this movie and being used. Because like I would assume that's no that would probably cost money to have that in there. And I think it works well. I think it's, it's a perfect like time capsule of 1985, like using the divinals, which I just know that one song that they did. You know, you know, oh, you know gosh. what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. What was the, is it, is it divinals or I, I thought it was divinals. Oh gosh. Really? I've always never know that. Uh, well, yeah. Um, what was their big hit? What divinals. was the big hit that they had? Maybe oh, it is gosh. divinals. I don't know. Tomato, tomato. Divine. I think I touched <laughs> <Yeah>. myself. <laughs> Billy Jean or is it Billy Jean? Um, no, uh, gosh, yeah, that uh, I touched myself. That was the divine. Oh, big that's song. okay. I yeah, that was that song. <laughs> um, but but also too, Pat Benatar was not a fan of the fact that this song was in the movie, and she, because she what? took her craft very seriously, and I don't think she had intended for this song to be used in the way it was but this that song when you hear that song if you know this movie if you don't then you'd be like oh this would be a great song for a movie when you hear that song you go oh that's the billy jean song you don't go oh that's invincible by pat benatar you go oh that's pat benatar's song she did for billy jean right so you're telling me that no was this okay so you're talking about the song uh invincible was it made for the movie no it came out uh on another album Oh, what's the? I it don't definitely have it seemed like it was made for the movie, and it was her theme song because it was used so much. Yeah, right? especially in the end credits, I was like, "Well, that's a very catchy song for this movie no one heard about." And I mean, that song is what sort of sold me on the movie, like almost right away. But yeah, that it's it's it fits so perfectly, even though it wasn't written for it. Zach, wow. did you find the? Did you find the album? Yeah, so it's off her album Seven the Hard Way. Actually, okay, so I I think I talked about this on our uh, on our on the two dollar late fee podcast. It came out around the same time. It came out in July, uh, so so it was it was used as the as the theme song. However, it was still a part of her album uh, the Seven the Hard Way. And 
we're lucky that she even put you know releases the license licenses to it now for the blu-ray and everything because yeah that's something yeah. we come across a lot of times um especially on uh tv obscura so uh zach and i do another um sort of uh spinoff on podcasting after dark uh with our buddy diallo called tv obscura uh, it's on the same feed it's on the podcast after dark feed but we talk about weird old tv shows and nine times out of ten if that weird old tv show that you loved as a kid isn't available anymore it's because some there's some song on that show that they can't get the license for anymore and and that's the like so we we covered this one show that we loved as kids called werewolf uh it was like mid 80s uh fox tv show um um, about a werewolf uh basically it's just same thing as the incredible hulk where he just goes from town to town turns into a werewolf and solves problems but very first <laughs> very first episode has as a song like the hulk like the hulk like uh, has a song by mike and the mechanics and the unfortunately the only version that they have of the pilot has the song married to the uh, the video so they can't extract it at all period so we will never get werewolf on dvd because of the mike and the mechanic song what yeah and then again nine times out of ten if you're like why isn't that show on dvd it's because there's music in it that they don't have the rights for anymore that is, I never knew that, but it makes sense. Like, I did, wow, yeah. That's, Music that's rights is our biggest enemy. <laughs> yeah, that's why you'll you'll go back to a show like WKRP in Cincinnati, and that show was about a radio station, right? And so it was playing top hits at the time on the show. Well the DVD versions that came out back in the day had like generic music playing. And they're like, you just heard, you know, uh, the tubes talk to me late later or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> and meanwhile, it's like, that's the tubes. Ooh, I can't stand that. Band. No, thank you. Um, yeah. So uh, the fact that this song is that song is played throughout and Craig Saffin even does like a symphonic version of that song, which is super, super cool as well. I love his version of I it. I picked up on that. I was like, I was like, is that is that like, is he you try sort of incorporating Invincible into the the actual score itself? I kind of my ears uh, perked up when I heard that. But yeah, that that song is the theme song for the movie, and it is perfect. You know, it's a perfect fit, and it's a you know, it's a real banger. It's a fantastic song. Um, it's. I don't know if this movie would have any legs that it has now without that soundtrack, without that that song. I think this movie is like a perfect lightning in a bottle sort of thing, you know, with Helen Slater. I mean, Christian Slater was fantastic in this. You know, Yardley Smith was fantastic in this. Um, What's his name, Zach? Uh, Peter Coyote? Um, Peter Coyote. He was, I don't know why I put the weird emphasis on it, Peter Coyote. Coyote. (laughs) Peter Coyote. (laughs) Do you know Don Coyote? Don Coyote. Brother Peter? <laughs> but he was great in this, you know. Even um, the 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 villain was was fantastic in this. Uh, Zach, I don't yes. know what he's from though. Have you ever seen him in anything before? Yeah, he pretty much plays a the, jerk. The in jerk and everything. He's in. <laughs> I figured. Um, typecasted as jerk. I'm a good jerk, by the way. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's been he was in the Untouchables. Uh, yeah. That was another movie that's his character stood out to me in that. I forget exactly who he like his role in that but i remember he was kind of a sleazeball in that film too just yeah he oozes sleazeball but he's the perfect you know villain for this and and i say that because i find him very believable as the villain um and i also don't find it to be like i mean yeah he's a piece he's a piece of crap but there's a little bit of a humanity to him somewhere that makes him not just 
perfectly evil because if he was perfectly evil it's it's not fun you know what i mean you have to give him a little bit of humanity but i'm i'm talking like one percent he's he's pretty bad if if you weren't tom Selleck or burt reynolds don't have that mustache dabney <laughs> coleman and had a mustache in the 80s you were probably a jerk <laughs> especially if it was like groomed like that like that triangle you know <laughs> Yeah, who wants to uh, who wants to have a mustache ride? Not me. Uh, and, or Sam Elliott, too. Sam Elliott. And, and of course, his kid's a piece of shit. So much so that, like, the kid, like, even sort of, like, scoffs at his dad's downfall at the end, you know? And I know you're supposed to right. be like, oh, maybe the kid is turning a corner or something. And I was like, no, that kid, that kid gets no redemption, you know? He, They're all loathsome. He's, he's yep. a piece of crap. And I think he's just laughing at his dad for failing, essentially. But, oh, my God. <laughs> Like, Maybe he had that introspective moment, like, oh, my God, I'm a piece of shit, just like my dad. <laughs> just like my dad. And maybe they'll do a sequel to this, and he's, like, grown up to be a good guy, you know, or something like that. Yeah. He saw That's how you do the reboot. Yeah. Because like, it it'll be a soft reboot, so it'll be, like, a sequel to this. Yeah. But, like, it's him and, like, his kid, and it's like, now my grandpa. Not my grandpa. My, you know, my dad. He was a piece of crap. Piece of shit. <laughs> it ends here, son. You will be the legend of Billy Bob or whatever it is. <laughs> Jimmy John the or whatever. Billy Bob. <laughs> so what's interesting with the main villain is because, like, we talked about the merchandising. We touched upon it. And, like, what's interesting is in the beginning – Binks shoots him in like the clavicle and like he has like an arm sling for some reason. I don't know how that works, but like he doesn't die. Uh, and then he no. takes the footage that I think either his son or his son's friend took of uh, Billie Jean in the beginning of the movie swimming and like turns it into posters, T-shirts. He monetizes the whole Billie Jean craze that's going on in Corpus Christi. And it's like, what the, like, you want, you were just trying to rape this girl. And now you're, like, making money off of her? Well, now so he's raping like, her in a different way. Yes. Ooh. Explain well, her in two different ways. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, it's it's such an interesting villain that we don't really see a lot nowadays. And it's like, oh, my God. It's like, it's, when he gets his comeuppance at the end, it's so satisfying because it's like, you're a piece of shit in almost every single way. You know, and his come up is great because it's just his stuff burns down. It's not like he goes to jail. It's not like he gets killed. You know, it's 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 on par with the level of villain that he is, you know. Well, also, too, this was this the first I can't remember if someone tried to monetize off of a tragedy prior to this, because the the only thing that came to my mind was the O.J. Simpson trial in the 90s when. You had people outside of the courtroom selling T-shirts with um, with OJ and, and trying to market off of that infamy. That's this feels like again, like you saw, you talked about earlier, Corey, how a lot of this stuff is relevant in 2022. Us trying to market off of tragedy is is a very popular thing to do nowadays. It's almost you know? the American way. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, how many freaking when nine eleven happened? How many t shirt? How many people were selling t shirts with towers on them? You know, and, never and forget. So, yeah, yeah, right. All proceeds will go to me. Um, <laughs> and because let's be yeah. honest, a lot of people were doing that yeah. the American way. Um, but but yeah, it's so true that like, uh, I can't think of another time prior to this that people were trying to market off of a an event like this. Yeah, like like prior to this, yeah, it's it's 
it feels like you said so relevant, so modern. But I can't think of some maybe a, a movie presentation before this that happened. And I'm sure people from the 70s will be like, "Oh no, it was, it was exactly like this." I'm like, oh, "Okay, yeah." But in my okay, sure. in my life, <laughs> I'm with you, Zach. In my life, I just, I think of the O.J. Simpson trial, and then you know 9/11, and just the fact that we call it 9/11 is a branding, you know. And then Armand, yeah. you saying never forget that it's all branding. Everything's a brand. Yeah. Um, our tragedy. Fair is fair our tragedy is a brand you know and and yeah this movie i think is a nice groundwork for that that we're going to see later and this movie does it in a great way in that it's of the time you know like like and they kind of obviously they're not looking into the future or trying to but it's interesting to see how things were different but yet how very similar they were at the same time and and i want to press upon everyone who hasn't seen this film this film is a nice little 90-minute tight film. It doesn't drag on. No, it's well-paced. It doesn't overly dramatize things where you feel depressed at points. It's just more like it hits you quick. Even the 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 setup of her being almost, you know, essentially being assaulted, it happens so quickly uh, to the point where you don't feel like you're watching, you know, the accused or something with Jodie Foster. Where you're like, oh, God, I'm never going to watch this again. This bears repeated viewings because of the fun factor involved, the road tripping, the mall montage, the mall scene, um, the scene when, you know, when you're introduced to uh, for, to Lloyd for the first time in his house, because there, there's like those pop culture elements from the 80s that we love that pop up the soundtrack it just moves at a really nice pace where you never feel like oh man this is depressing because there are a lot of movies there's more movies that air on that side where it's like oh well, we, we've got to we've got to explain the sadness behind the scene no th- 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 let's just move on and i like how in the same breath you went from talking about her getting assaulted or almost assaulted to how fun the movie is <laughs> for, for the rest of the film and and i think that's that's an illustration of the interesting tone to this movie and that it can be extreme and, and very scary and very real in one moment. Um, and then very fun in the next. I mean, I'd say like the bulk of the movie is fun. Like 70, 70% yeah. of the film is, is airs more on the side of fun than it does. I'd say 80. Hmm? I'd say 80%. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think it's a very high, high percentage. <laughs> um, and a lot of that fun does come from seeing all the fantastic 80s fashion and style and everything and oh my god and the toys and the mall and stuff all that stuff like that's such a great it's a great time capsule but at the same time you know it's that's not the main thing you go in to watch it with the the pacing is very well done you know like you said zach they move on from one thing to the next and they don't linger too long on any of the uh the on any part so good or bad even if you're having a fun scene it's still not going to linger too long on it. And if it's a scene that's, you know, more exposition or whatever, it's going to be the same thing. So for better or worse, it's a very fast paced film. Um, but I think perfectly timed. Like, I don't think it needs to be an hour and 45 minutes. And, you no. know, I think if it was like an hour and 20 minutes, I think we would have been felt, you know, wanting more. So I think it's a pretty solid. Yeah. Like we always say a solid 90 minutes, you know? Yeah. It just, it holds your attention for whatever they're trying to convey for the right amount of time. Like in the beginning where you yeah. have that assault scene, it doesn't linger on it. It doesn't feel like, Oh my God, this is like uh, you know, horrible. It's like it happens. It's brought up and then we move on and then we go to the action sequence. And then like later in the film, when Billy Jean becomes the legend that she became Billy Jean, and then she saves that one kid from a very abusive home. It doesn't linger on it. 
It happens. She saves a kid, moves on. She has that moment of heroism. And like, as I'm watching, I'm like, I kind of wish there was more of this, but then again, do I? Because then if it's like more of more instances of that, it's like, well, this is like dragging on now. It's like, yeah. I, I already saw her be a hero. I have to see her be a hero two more times. It's like, no, it's like, we got the point. Let's move on to the next thing. Yeah. And the film excels in that. Cause like, there's no fat on this at all. It's a clean, lean beef. There's no fats. And like the film doesn't drag. I wasn't like looking at my watch. Like, is this done yet? It's like, no, it's like, <laughs> What do we got to get to the scene with you? It's perfectly paced, like you said, Zach. (laughs) Armand, I have to ask you, you said uh, you watched Heathers not that long ago. Yeah. And uh, and started kind of toe-dipping into early Christian Slater movies. Have you seen Pump Up the Volume or uh, Or Beaming the Cube? Or Cuffs. Or Cuffs. (laughs) Yeah. Those are three. I have not. (laughs) I would put I would put Gleaming the Cube. Well, I personally would put Gleaming the Cube at the top. But but if you've never seen Pump Up the Volume, it's a really really good movie. <laughs> and, and Cuffs is fun. I was gonna say I have kind of a deep love for Cuffs, so I put Cuffs at the top. But yeah, all three of those movies are are fantastic. I love okay. early Christian Slater stuff when he was totally doing his his Jack Nicholson. Yes. So, so okay, this is interesting too. So this is a guy who clearly, uh, you know, people were were getting excited over the fact that he could do a, a spot on Jack Nicholson impersonation, right? Or impression. So he's got that going for him. And then he thinks he's cosmically linked to Helen Slater. Something tells me early Christian Slater needed to do a lot of personal work on himself. <laughs> That's why he's Something such a great Something tells actor. me that. Yeah, he is. I, mean, I love him in Mr. Robot, by the way. So yeah. well, He's I, in Mr. Robot? Yeah. Oh my, I haven't been keeping up with this guy. That's a good show, but the first the first couple of seasons of Mr. Robot are really good. Great soundtrack too. BT Dubs. It's funny because he's so young here that he's not doing the Jack Nicholson yet. But you can learn about Jack Nicholson. But yet. you can you can vibe it. You can sort of sense it. And and you know what I mean. Like I don't think when he does his Jack Nicholson, it's so outside the left field. Like he vibes as well, you know. But he he definitely has something, you know, an X factor uh, in this movie, especially since this is like his first lead role um but it was it was nice hearing his his actual accent without uh or his actual voice without a jack nicholson version on top of it you know it just blows my mind how he thought that was a great idea because like you know when i watched it turned him into a star i mean i guess that's the i guess that was his cheat code let me sound like a famous (laughs) person already (laughs) well and and also to uh the actor keith gordon who plays lloyd in this Keith Gordon was a was a staple of 80s early early to mid 80s films um back to school Christine John Carpenter's Christine uh he was he was all over the place in the 80s on TV and in movies if if uh you know if no one knows who he is he went on to become a director and a very prominent director as well um but you know I just wanted to point out the fact that Keith Gordon is like when he pops up and I'm like, Oh cool. Keith Gordon. At the time when I was a kid, uh, I got excited about that. I still get excited about a, a Keith and, Gordon sighting. And at the time he was probably one of the bigger names at the time. Right. Well, I mean, well, yes. cause Christine was, was right I around the so. same time and everything. Christine was 83. Oh, Oh, that's right. Yeah. We covered it on the carpenter factor. I should, I should remember. Um, and I think back to school came out the year after. This, okay. And I, I 86, and I for me, I always think of back to school when I think of Keith Gordon, but here, you know, I, I feel like he's sort of the biggest punch, you know, in, in this role here. Cause even Helen Slater, this kind of propelled her and obviously Supergirl 
um, really sort of launched her into the stratosphere. But he, right, uh, Zach? Well, yeah, Supergirl, Supergirl came out before Legend of Billie Jean, even though I think they, they were filming, yeah, filming at the same, time, same time. And, or this might have been filmed before it or something. So she was already yeah. big um, or popping and everything. But Keith Gordon was already a staple at that point. So I think he was more of the, you know, you know what you're going to get when he's on screen and he's always going to bring quality to it. Yeah, and she was a solid lead actor and and a hero. Like, you know, we often oftentimes I love when these things pop up. Actors nowadays go, Well, there are no female role models back in the day. And there were not as many as there are now. That's that's probably pretty accurate to say. But then people will be like, Oh, you want to talk female role models? What about Linda Hamilton? What about Sigourney Weaver? But there are other movies like Legend of Billie Jean. I think you could easily put up there as a strong female empowerment film. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Because like I was about to say, I was like, what about Sarah Connor? What about Ripley? (laughs) Princess Leia? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But like more realistic role models, for sure, Billie Jean. Because like it's, it's just a girl and she inspires others. And I really like the motif with uh, Joan of Arc. She essentially yeah. becomes the modern, kind of, the modern day Joan of Arc uh, for Corpus Christi. <laughs> they even have uh, the symbolism at the end of the movie where all of the memorabilia that uh, the main antagonist makes is up up in flames. And one of them is this giant statue of Billie Jean. And that catches on fire. And I'm like, oh, I get it. I understood the reference. <laughs> I clapped. I was like, I get it. <laughs> Good job. No, but seriously, it's like, okay, I, I understand what the filmmakers are trying to do. Yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah. Like, the, it's it's there. Maybe I need a little bit more time to cook in the oven, but, like, the ingredients are there. Well, it's I was like, going okay. to say, say to you, Armand, you understand what they were trying to do. Do you think they achieved it? Do you think they achieved their goal of making this uh, Joan of Corpus Christi, Corpus Christi, essentially, is what this movie is? Do you think the filmmakers achieved that? Well, let's. Uh, I think it's time to get off the fence then. So <laughs> there it is. I'll start first. Do I think uh, Billy Jean succeeded to become that Joan of Arc figure? <sighs> I guess like an offshoot, an echo of Joan of Arc. Like Joan of Arc, Joan of Arc ran, so Billy Jean could uh, to walk. Uh, so it's like reversed because like, I think Joan of Arc succeeded way more than Billy Jean. Like she led the French army against the British or whatever was in that island at the time. And like, she became a real martyr burned at the stake for bullshit dressing as a man. That's the only thing I could get her on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, is Billie Jean like a Joan of Arc type figure, I guess, because it inspired the youth, but like, I don't, at the end of the day, no, no, she's more of like a sanitized, Bonnie, like Bonnie and Clyde, where it's like this outlaw, but like vigilante esque. Yeah. Not like this heroic religious figure, messenger of God type person that's going to lead the troops. She's almost like an anti hero, but not, you know, like there's something there. She has like one foot in the anti hero area, one foot in traditional hero area, but I think. To properly answer, you know, whether she was Corpus Christi's Joan of Arc, you you have to look at it later. Like, you can't look at it in the terms of the movie itself. Um, I think you have to – you would have to do it in the soft reboot. They would have to address whether her legend lived on because they call yes. it the legend of Billie Jean, but 
you don't you can't talk about a legend in the in the span of when it's happening you a legend only happens later do you, you know what i mean so it's like a nickname you can't give yourself the nickname I, I can't be legendary yet i have to be legendary <laughs> later you know so yes. um but yeah i i think that they that they, they were that's what they were trying to do but i don't know if they achieved it unless they did a sequel later to address it or not exactly it's kind of like yeah. uh in the force awakens with luke skywalker's character it's like in the original trilogy, it's like it's Luke Skywalker, but then when you get to the sequels, it's like, oh my God, Luke Skywalker, he's a legend because decades have passed. You need time like, there, yeah. So if you do that with Billy Jean, like okay, decades later, it's the Hulu original series. Maybe she is legendary at that point, right? What about you, Zach? Is she a Joan of Arc of Texas? She's more of a Joan of Arc than Joan of Arc in Bill and Ted's an Excellent Adventure, <laughs> I'd say blasphemy uh, but go on <laughs> no who was that she was from the go-go's uh, i forget her name off the top of my head but anyways um yeah i mean it's a it, it's it, i like the the parallel you know i like the parallel they're trying to make and and it adds to the drama because you think okay if they're drawing that actually that's what makes the film a little bit more effective because they're they're if they're trying to connect her to joan of arc and be that martyr then she's going to die at the end, right? But she doesn't die at the end, which is great. Spoiler, um, which I, which is which is effective. You're you're as a story, you're setting up this whole idea that this person is this martyr. They're 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 a, a symbol of heroic vengeance. It would make sense if this movie was made today. She would die at the end because that's how what Hollywood loves to do. They love to have that downbeat ending. How dare you? I love an upbeat ending. I love happy endings, literally and figuratively. Uh, I just think it's great that you know that they they walk away in the sunset. There's a, it's it's again effective. You know she doesn't get sexually assaulted which would be a whole other story if if she was if that scumbag did do to her what he wanted to do to her this movie would not be i think as popular or live on as long because people would be like oh god i can't watch that movie because that scene where you know he does his thing and like that's what pushes people away from movies like this it It doesn't invite a rewatch yeah this this does yeah this movie is a rewatch because it has enough upbeat happy moments which I, I guess are more kid friendly in that way because you know kids don't want to see the drama of life, um, understandably. And I love that it that it has the happy ending and she's not the the martyr ultimately at the end. She's not the true martyr yeah. because if she was, she would have died. And yeah, in the truest sense of the word. And I'm, I agree with you. I think if it was remade now, she probably would die at the end. And then the film filmmakers would be like, well, we're trying to make it more accurate because we, the original intention was that she was Joan of Arc, yada, yada, yada. And I think you're right. Oh, and they, you, you know, they do a scene where she gets the crap kicked out of her yeah. and she's looking at herself in the mirror with the bloody lip and the bloody eye and like crying, but pissed. To add that, you know, realism to it. And, and they would no, miss we the, don't need the realism. No, they would miss the point because it's <laughs> yeah. the cartoony aspect of this movie, even though they're dealing with real stuff, but it's the comic book visual tone of this film that uh, it does, right. I think, brings you back and it makes it more palatable to yeah. watch and, and enjoyable to watch. Thus, hopefully having more people get the thesis, get the, you know, get the message that the, the filmmakers are trying to impart. Yeah. Wow. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, 
Maybe the legend died at the end. Maybe the legend of Billie ah, Jean there you is did. what died. Yeah, the legend Armand, died. You just did say it better yourself. Yes, there you go. <laughs> I'm just grasping at straws with this. Movie. No, you put a button on that, homeboy. You did a good job. So my next question is, do you think a lot of the blame falls on Binks for this story? Because like, if you really think about it, like Billie Jean didn't really escalate a lot of things. It's Binks. Binks is the one that grabbed... Uh, then the main guy's gun from the register and shot him. Binks yep. stole a toy gun and pointed it at police officers. Uh, and then he helped, uh, you know, have Lloyd be the bartering item to be, you know, like, oh, well, we can't just go to the cops. We need to kidnap somebody. And then he's like bringing Lloyd to the cops with a toy gun that looks like a real gun. So it's like, is he to blame for a lot of the problems that our gang goes on? Yeah, because he's trying to look good for his sister who he's secretly in love with. <laughs> As a true redneck. <laughs> yes. And also, too, I mean, let's not forget the fact that his dad left him money and he used that for the the, the scooter. And yes, mm-hmm. I think it's obviously something that's vain, vanity. You know, it's for him to get around. But I, you know, you got to figure that he's like supposed to be fourteen or fifteen. It's also re- a reminder of his lost father as well, which yeah. I think the film doesn't do a good enough job, sort of pushing that uh, aspect of it um, to make it. It almost makes it seem like it's a, it's just oh, it's just a thing that he's trying to get back. I looked at it as like it's also a reminder of his of his father who's missing and it's also freedom you know obviously a vehicle equals freedom and it's it's a way for them to get out of the this little area their trailer park and everything so i don't think we should disregard those aspects just like i don't think we should disregard his starry eyes for his sister it's just it's a part of the movie you know it's just it's a part of the fabric of the film well i think you can also uh make a comment that scooters suck and that the gobots <laughs> yes. and that the gobots scooter was probably the lamest uh transformer ever slash gobot because it's a gobot yes. and and just a reminder that that's not your gateway out of a town that is your gateway into a, a crippled life yes. scooters are <laughs> the worst and we did just offend the one gobot fan out there i like scoot i secretly like scooter. i secretly hate him <laughs> i like it i liked him but you know he was lame i just wish the toy would have looked more you know i'm gonna accurate. say it i'm gonna be that guy I had a scooter when I was their age. <laughs> All my friends made fun of me. They're like, oh, you're getting a scooter? And once I had the scooter, they're like, well, can I ride? Can, can I get and on yeah, it? Like, oh, now it's cool? Now it's cool. Of course. <laughs> Look, I drive a cargo bike that with that my son sits in the front of. So, uh, And I wear cargo shorts with my cargo. No. Oh, <laughs> cargo man. <laughs> I am cargo man. The new GoBot, cargo man. <laughs> I think I met someone that was like, well, GoBots were cooler, but, you know, they didn't get their fair share. And I'm like, GoBots were definitely not cool. (laughs) Wrong. Wrong. (laughs) I'm like, what the hell is a GoBot? I'm like, all right. (laughs) It's a bot that goes, duh. I'm glad that you mentioned the fatherless home. That was glossed over. If it was remade today, they would totally hone in on that. Because, like, we had the two, you know, we had Binks that, like, you know, fatherless home. And he's, like, trying to, like, be the man essentially to the point where it's like, uh, you're pointing guns at police and you're have the eyes for your sister. And then we have Billie Jean that's like, okay, she's going to fill in that parental role and become like this badass figure. It's like, okay. So it's like two lanes to deal with that singular trauma of like, 
not having a dad. And plus, yeah. they want, and especially uh, Binks wants to get to Vermont so bad because it's the it's such the polar opposite of where they are now. And in in his head, at that age, it also means like emotionally, it's the polar opposite as, as where I'm at now and everything. Like, so you could you know that his character just wants to get away, and that scooter. It's just it's a way for him to get away on a day to day basis, you know, but it was also a a way for him to possibly get away one day. And with it gone, he knows that he's or at least he probably feels that he's permanently stuck in this position that he's in. I mean, you're making this sound better than it is. (laughs) Final question. He does that. He does that. (laughs) Would you recommend The Legend of Billie Jean to a friend? Zach, I'll start with you. Yes, absolutely. If your friend likes 80s nostalgia, it is nostalgia in a nice little 90-minute package. I, I couldn't have said it better myself, so my answer is exactly the same as Zach's. This is, this is awesome. And, you know, just to kind of prove the point, you know, I showed it to my wife, and she loved it as well. So, And she'd never wow. seen it either, so. You know what? I came into this saying that I, I was like, okay, I can't recommend this. But, like, after talking about it with you guys, I'm like, okay, there are redeeming qualities of this film. Like, it doesn't suck. Um, we do that. Are there better, <laughs> do that. better 80s movies? Yes. But, like, this movie has, like, a good message, I think. I mean, okay, can, I, can I just say real quick? Yes. Are there better oh. 80s movies? Yes. Does any 80s movie or any other movie exist is like this? No. This is a very unique film, I think. Yes. Yeah, agreed. I agree with that, too, because, like, I haven't really. You can't classify this movie. It's really hard, but like if I were to classify it, it's like it's an uplifting tale, especially for younger people. Uh, if they were to be cool and watch a, a, a Diamond in the Rough '80s film, it's like check out the Legend of Billie Jean, so you could like be like a cool hipster about it. Yeah, but like this movie's it has message, female empowerment, especially in a time where maybe it wasn't really in vogue like it is now. So this was a trendsetter, and I think people should check it out at least once. Uh, yep. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Awesome. Well, we're at the end of the show, guys. Thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. We talked about some deep stuff. We talked about Helen Slater uh, and her clothing, but like <laughs> overall, this was a great time. So, where can people hear your podcast, and what podcast would they like you guys to listen to? Zach, you want to go first? I'll start first. Yeah. So you can find me uh, on two podcasts: Two Dollar Lafey, Two Dollar Lafey dot com. T W O. We're on Instagram, all the social medias, all that good stuff. 80s and sometimes 90s nostalgic podcast with a musical twist. And Corey, where can we find the two of us? <laughs> Podcasting after dark, the the dark side of the coin to $2 late fee. And uh, yeah, you can find us. We mostly uh, social media wise, we mostly live on Instagram, Podcasting After Dark. Um, but you can find everything on our website, podcastafterdark.com. We have a bunch of merch. Uh, and Zach and I have a pretty robust uh, Patreon as well. Um, we do like a, sure a, do. a monthly show, but then or a couple monthly shows actually, but our, our sort of our flagship on the Patreon feed is um, the Carpenter Factor. And as Zach mentioned earlier, we are going through his complete filmography um, in order, uh, everything in order. So we started with Dark Star and uh, about a year and some months later, we are now at Memoirs of an Invisible Man. We just dropped that. Uh, we'll be recording the Body Bags episode and we're going to go up all the way up to his last film. Um, and then, which I think uh, 
it has Amber Heard in it. So that's that's the fun. Ward. The Ward, uh, yeah. And then um, oh after that, we're going to dive into another auteur, um, possibly Don Coscarelli uh, from Phantasm series and everything. But we haven't locked it down and we kind of have a, pretty much this entire year to get through John Carpenter anyways. But wow. we're huge fans of John Carpenter. But all links, all links to everything, social media, podcatchers, everything can be found at podcastingafterdark.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much again. I'm going to have uh, your shows linked in the show notes of this episode. And thank you so much for coming back. And I, I look forward to seeing what other director you're going to do after John Carpenter. Gave a little tease. Guess we'll find out soon. <laughs> thank you. It'll be fun. Thank you so much for having us on the show. This was fantastic, Armand. You put on a, a great show of listening to some episodes, and I love it. And I hope everyone, obviously, you guys are all listening to this. Uh, this is on your feed. But yeah, great, great show, man. And thank you so much for having us on. Thank yeah, thanks, so Armand. That was great. Thank you. All right. And we're done. See ya. That's it for this time on The Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Keep the conversation going by adding us on Instagram and Letterboxd at Syndicate. Or join the Discord server where you can catch Armand along other podcasters and listeners at syndicate.com slash discord. And until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye.